Hey, Morty, quick favor. What, cover me in gasoline and spiders? Fine, yeah, I'm in. Wasn't my first pitch, but hey, not gonna waste this opportunity. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is your host, JT. With me, as always, I have Ron. Hello. Hey. And uh, we are live-ish. I hope. <laughs> uh, yeah, for those who, who know the, the backstory, we had a little issue with our last episode, but that's okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you're watching us on uh, YouTube or Facebook, welcome. Uh, know that we are trying a lot of new things. We've got a Facebook user that's already commenting, so we're doing something right. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is our, uh, I guess, inaugural, our flagship episode on our new platform. Um if you've seen any of our other episodes, you realize this has a lot more user quality, and a lot more production value to it. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Heck yeah. So, Ron, how you been, buddy? It's been a few weeks. Good. I'm exhausted. We had wrestling first thing yesterday morning, and now I'm I'm in Kansas City for a cheerleading competition. Did you guys divide and conquer, or was it a... Uh... You guys no, all went for the wrestling, was, and then you all went to, yep. yeah. Gotcha. Yep, <clears throat> yeah, yep. we had we had uh, one wrestling and one playing basketball in two different cities, so we divided and conquered yesterday. So, um, oh, we got some motivation. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> I will judge you, whoever Facebook user is. That I'm I'm going to go with it's God. <laughs> so, well, you know, yes, God, we will do our best to not fuck this up. <laughs> so, uh, as you can tell, we we don't care about language on this. Um, we care more about getting facts correct. You know what? We're yes. we're um amateur historians. Whoa, <laughs> you're leaning up on me there, buddy. Um, the two guys just have a, have enthusiasm for history, and and me, I've been podcasting for off and on 17, 18 years, and this is Ron's first venture into this endeavor with his trusty apple juice, and yeah. uh. And yeah, we got a lot of new toys on this website to play with, so you're going to see a lot of changing <laughs> of all kinds of things. So we're going to have some fun with this. So um, we may figure it out someday. We'll figure you know, it out, but we're going to have fun first. When that happens, you'll be the first to know because we won't know. But uh, we want to welcome all three of our now live listeners. Looks like Facebook is the way to be. Um, but as you're as you're here, make sure you go to YouTube. You search up our YouTube channel. You like and subscribe. That helps us out tremendously. In the long run, that's how we're gonna end up making a little. Uh, yeah, somebody knows where I am. Uh, that, that's gonna help us make a little bit of a <laughs> little bit of uh, money in the long run. So now let's go ahead and dive headfirst into this. Today is the 17th of December, 2023. Today in history, uh, let's start with 1777, the American Revolution. Uh, which is a, this is a big step in uh, us going from treason to revolutionists. Uh, France formally recognizes the United States as a country. Hey, yeah, big step. Um, <laughs> At least France cared, right? Well, and France sent a lot of a lot of aid, and uh, you know. Sh- ships which helped us in the on the naval side of things because we didn't really have a navy at the time so it was it was <laughs> thanks france you didn't surrender this time so Ooh. you know the, the french salute is both hands up in the air so um moving on 
Uh, let's fast forward to 1790. The Aztec calendar stone is discovered at El Zocala. Zocalo, I, I butchered that one. Uh, in Mexico City, um, the Aztec calendar, it's it's not the Mayan circle of death, but the Aztec calendar, was. it, it did give us a lot of insight into the fact that they were more civilized uh, nation, people, population, whatever word you want to use, um, than just savages that that we stumbled across the spaniards stumbled across so uh 1892 the first issue of vogue is published do that math yeah i just was that's <laughs> it's been around a while yeah 130 years yeah, yeah 131 happy birthday vogue or whatever we're supposed to say to that uh 1933 yeah. the first nfl championship is played at bit of trivia for you where do you think it was played around it's early i don't know <laughs> you are firing on some cylinders today um, a one or two yes yeah if you're in the uh the the, the uh, chat room there the comments section by all means put your guess up there um i'll give you just a few seconds as i finish this a uh, little little hint as to uh where it was with the New York Giants played the Chicago Bears, and the Bears won twenty-three to twenty-one. First championship is played at Wrigley Field. Did, yeah, did, yeah. No. Uh, anyway, uh, let's move on to nineteen sixty-nine. This was one of those subjects that I really wanted to do, but but uh, Ron used his veto power on this episode. We're doing the uh, Wright brothers today. Um, but 1969 project blue book uh, is, is uh, closed. It's the United States air force closes its study of UFOs. We'll get a chance to come back to that. Oh, we're coming back to that one. Oh, <laughs> I, want yeah, to do some yeah. UFOs. <laughs> I like me some creepy UFOs. Um, let's see. 1989, the Simpsons premiere on television with the episode Simpsons roasting on an open fire. Hmm. Some more math for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I believe that was their first actual episode. I didn't research that completely. I don't think it was their first um, little vignette that was on the Tracy Ullman show. Okay. I believe that's her first actual episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My, my buddy Steve would know that one. If, which one? He's a, he's a Simpsons aficionado. So hmm. that would, that's up his, his alley there. Um, moving on to 19... Uh, nope, sorry. 2014. Contacts are great. Uh, the United States and Cuba reestablished diplomatic relations after severing them in 1961. So I think, uh, I, I don't think we fully opened up complete travel back and forth to Cuba. Um, but you know, when we, when we showed up, they were still in the 1960s with all their cars and technology. Oh, yeah. What's what happens when you've got a dictator running it? <laughs> that doesn't like change. Yeah, I'm sorry. He's the guy that's been elected every year since 1960 or whatever, whenever Castro was had his yeah. military coup with all of his friends. Uh, let's see. Born on this date, 1905, Simo Hoya. How do you pronounce his last name? The Finnish soldier and sniper known as the White Death. We need to come back and do a wade into Something that on, topic. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because one of our favorite podcasters, the uh, fat electrician, does one on a uh, Finnish soldier that uh, took his entire platoon's uh, 
surplus of crank. <laughs> and then, yes. Just and then, he uh, up on it. yes. And then he went on his merry way around the, uh, the winter countryside for a couple of weeks without real food or water. And, um, yeah, I had a fun little time, but the, the point yeah. of that was that he entered when he was, you know, he old and gray and whatnot, spoiler alert, he entered a craziest story of a war or World War II or something like that, and he he lost. He came in second place on that one, and the fat electrician <laughs> says he, the only way he could have came in second was if he uh, went against Simo Hoivu yeah. for that. H-A with yeah. some markings over it y h a with more markings over it it's finished i don't know but yeah born in the state 1905 uh let's see 1913 burt baskin american businessman and co-founder of baskin robbins there it is ding 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 Come i got something on. right give Look him a me. prize he's got another cylinder firing now uh let's see 1939 eddie kendrick's american r&b singer and songwriter was born for those who don't know, he was part of the Temptations. Cool. Uh, nineteen. He passed away in nineteen ninety-two, so he didn't even make it to sixty. Uh, let's see, nineteen forty-five. The world was given the man, the myth, the legend, Ernie Hudson, American actor, best known for Ghostbusters. For our generation, anyway. He's known right. for a lot of other stuff, but yeah. <laughs> let's see if I can play with our new. Our new toy over here. And we can share the screen. There's Ernie hey, Hudson watching. Look at that production value. Whoa. Share, share my Google image search. See if I can find him in his. Well, there's there he is in his old Ghostbuster and the newest one. That's that's fantastic. Isn't it? And there he is in his original Ghostbusters from Ghostbusters 2. Nice. When they took on um, Vigo, <laughs> Vigo the Carpathian is <laughs> Vigo. Sorry, having some fun here. All right, back to what we were doing. Let's go a little closer. Hey, and yes, Ron did wear his goggles. It's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, how do you get in the spirit of the Wright brothers without some weird, funky goggles from Amazon? So I tried. Yeah. <laughs> Mine aren't going to be here in time. <laughs> so anyway, moving on. Uh, let's see. 1946, one year later, we were given Canadian actor, director, and screenwriter, and most notable as uh, Jim's father from American Pie, Eugene Levy, eyebrows himself. Uh, <laughs> next, 1953, American actor Bill Pullman, not Bill Paxton, Bill Pullman. Pullman uh, or Paxton. Yep, yep. He... Uh, I know him best as best. If probably, I don't best, but probably my, my favorite character that he did is the president in Independence Day. Uh, moving yeah. on, 1969, American mixed martial artist, kickboxer, and psychopath, uh, the Iceman Chuck Liddell. He was born in 1969. Hmm. He's older than I thought he was, but uh, I think, let's I think see. Everybody that's in the 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 limelight is just older than you think. Like just add 10 to everybody's age. And that's at least, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just one of those things where you don't, you, you romanticize the past so much. You don't realize that they get older. The time <laughs> keeps were, going. Yeah. yeah. They were, they were older at that point as well. And, and, and they continue to age. Weird. So, yeah, I know. 
Time is undefeated. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Lastly, this is an ode back to my old podcast. This goes from the uh, We Know Nothing About Cricket file. Uh, and I really put him on here just for his name. Uh, but it's South African cricketer Quentin de Kock. I know. I'm juvenile. (laughs) I'm I'm a 13-year-old just doing this. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Um, Let's go to the In Memoriam segment of this podcast or this segment. Uh, 2011, the world lost uh, North Korean commander, politician, second supreme leader of North Korea, and certified psychopath, uh, Kim Jong-il. Hopefully his son isn't trying to lob a nuke over at me for calling his dad a psychopath. (laughs) I'm sure he's not watching right now. You know what? We have two people watching, maybe three. What are we at? We're at three. One could could be uh, Kim Jong-un. You're a psychopath too. So I know I started World War III. Um, Let's see. 2016 American voice director Gordon Hunt. And I had his page pulled up and I knew (laughs) why he was so famous. Uh, Give me two seconds. This is. Gordon Hunt is best known for directing animated productions such as The Jetsons, Scooby-Doo, Super Friends, Richie Rich Show, The Smurfs, Pound Puppies, Tom and Jerry, Pirates of Darkwater, Droopy, Master Detective, and The New Adventures of Captain Planet. I can give you, I recognize 80% of those. <laughs> right, everybody's seen something that he's that he's done. Um, yeah, born in 1929, passed away on this date in 2016, but he was a major influence in most of our childhoods in one way or another. Um, but also here's a fun fact. Um, he directed a lot of TV series as well. Uh, most notably uh, mad about you, which starred Helen hunt, who is mm-hmm. his daughter. Cool. So there's that little loop. Uh, so lastly, if I can get back to it, uh, passing away on this date, 2020, uh, we lost Jeremy. Whoa, where did my screen go? Jeremy Bullock. And if I get to him real quick, Jeremy Bullock is uh, actually the actor that played the physical. He was the physical role of the original Boba Fett in Star Wars. Okay. So cool. Um, and then he also was Boba Fett in uh, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and Revenge of the Sith when he came back. So it's my nerddom coming back out. So, so there we go. There's our today in history, and some notable births and deaths. And lastly, on this date in history, one of the big events and the the springboard for our show today 1903 the wright brothers make the first controlled powered there's a key controlled powered heavier than air flight in the wright flyer at kitty hawk north carolina north kakalaki so that is the (laughs) the catalyst for for ron's goggles for our show um and for my amazon order that has yet to be shipped (laughs) so gonna have a hard time finding time to have antique goggles and a white silk scarf you know what 
it also had the leather helmet. So <laughs> I went all out. Yeah. Yeah. It was going to take away the shininess of the, the dome here. That's okay. I've got this light behind me. That I can't seem to get rid of. But that's okay. <laughs> you're going to have to turn the entire thing around <laughs> so that you can block it. And then you get a glare on top of your head. I am not going to fight any of them. It's yeah, just no. Just, just, Whoa, it's worse. <laughs> Abort mission. Yeah. So yeah. who were the Wright brothers? A couple guys. I guess they were a couple of children. Uh, two out of seven children from Milton and uh, Suzanne, Susan, Susan uh, Wright, Susan Catherine Corner Wright. Um, their, their dad was a clergyman. He was, uh, where was he? Church of United Brethren in Christ. So his dad actually did a lot of traveling around. Um, but yeah, they were moved all over. Uh, Wilbur was born 1867, April 16th, 1867 in Millville, Indiana. And uh, and Orville was born April, or August 19th, 1871 in Dayton, Ohio. So they moved around cool. quite a bit. They, they eventually ended up settling in Dayton, Ohio. Um, but as we said, they were two of seven children. Uh, So they had, let's see. I am losing all of my notes. This is not good. That was me last time. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing that one didn't show up. (laughs) Hey. Uh, Let's see. They, they had siblings, Reichlin, I believe (laughs) was a brother. I don't know. Uh, Then they had Lauren, L O R I N. Then they had Catherine, and then they had twins, Otis and Ida, uh, who both died in infancy. Mm-hmm. So the direct paternal ancestry goes back to Samuel Wright, who sailed to America and settled in Massachusetts in 1636. So their family, had, at least the right side, had uh, not the left side or the bad side, but the right side. I've been here <laughs> since uh, 1636, and they're from you know Northeast Massachusetts area, like most were in that time. So right. Um, the the quirky thing about their their family was that their parents didn't give any of them any middle names. All seven kids did not have a middle name. Huh. Um, their dad really wanted their kids to have strong names and unique names. So they're Wilbur, Orville, and then you've got Reichlin. <laughs> Nobody yeah, names your kid Reichlin. <laughs> not without real big ambitions. Right, right. R-E-U-C-H-L-I-N. As always, I am butchering these names and then lauren yeah. is l-o-r-i-n as opposed to l-a-u-r-e-n the traditional spelling and then of course you've got Catherine, but it's k-a-t-h-a-r-i-n-e okay so yeah, yeah a little, little different spelling there um but yeah so wilbur and orville were, were known as will and orv uh, to their friends in dayton um or the adults knew them as the bishop kids or the bishop boys so they were well known around, around their town. Um, but from an early age, they had a fascination in mechanics, in anything that was that was, you know, they could tear apart and put back together. Um, a bit of foreshadowing. Uh, they were absolutely enamored with. So their father went on a trip, for instance, and you know he he did a lot of traveling around doing missionary, not missionary work, but you know, clergy work, um, helping other churches, things like that. And uh, he came back with a a little, it was made out of balsa wood and uh, 
some rubber bands and, you know, some, some other sticks some stuff like that. It was a little helicopter that they could wind up and let go and it would fly and come back down. Yeah. And they played with it endlessly until that thing broke. And then they built one of their own because they played with it so much. They figured out how it worked. Um, and so that really was their foray into flight because from then Orville had a very large uh, fascination with flight and, and making things, Making things sure, make it, make it, because back then nothing flew. Things, so, things didn't fly, so of course it's new. It was a novel it's, concept. It's the, um, the time travel, it's the teleportation, it's all the things that we still can be fascinated by because we don't have it. Exactly. It's. I mean, I don't even know how to quantify that into today's. Yeah. I mean, interstellar travel, maybe. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But you can't bring something home that's going to make interstellar travel, so yeah, I can't really quantify that. Right. So, man, I have barely eaten and I'm drinking a Zion's. That's like putting NOS on the engine. <laughs> Sorry, it's going to hit me quick. Um, maybe I'll lose my, my notes quicker. <laughs> maybe. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, like I said, they traveled around a lot. Um, and it wasn't until 1884 uh, the family abruptly moves to from Richmond, Indiana to Dayton, Ohio, where the family lived during the 1870s. Um, when they moved, it actually prevented Wilbur from getting his diploma after finishing his four years of high school. Um, and then when he, you know, posthumously after he passed away, the high school actually awarded him his diploma on his 127th birthday in April 16th, 1994. You know... He did a lot. He did. They they did. Um, might as well might as well give him a high school diploma if if, if for nothing else. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, might as well. Um, both of them were 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 very athletic. Um, you know, growing up in the north, they played a lot of hockey. Um, 1886, somewhere around there, Wilbur was struck in the face with a hockey stick. Um, playing the game with his friends, lost a bunch of teeth. Um, and the injury, you know, didn't appear severe or anything. Um, but after that injury, Wilbur became withdrawn, stopped playing, you know, sports, didn't hang around with his friends much. Um, and at that point decided that he was going to focus on his career and everything and decided to, he, he planned on attending Yale. Um, but they're not really sure why, but he, he became more and more withdrawn after he had, had found these, you know, set up these plans. He's going to go become a big businessman, get a, get a degree from Yale. And he spent most of the next few years housebound in the house. Sure. So Orville's still out there doing his thing, but Wilbur is more of a recluse. And uh, during that time, you know, their, their mother was terminally ill. And so that's really what Wilbur spent most of his time doing was taking care of their mother who had tuberculosis and uh, you know the, the father was either traveling or he he would spend all of his time in the library, so somebody had to take care of mom. Um, sure. During this time, you know, or like I said, Orville was out doing his his you know his own thing. Um, he was a junior assistant at a uh, printing company, and when he, when he wasn't working with the printing company, he, him and Wilbur actually built. If you see the childhood home of the Wrights in Dayton, Ohio, him and uh, Wilbur actually built the porch that's still on there. So the, the main Very view cool. that you see is kind of a corner view and you see this big giant wraparound porch on this, you know, early 1900s house. Looks <laughs> a lot like my house now. Um, 
Yeah, but you live yeah. in an early 1900s house. I, well, yeah, 1911. So yeah, it's yeah. it's well, seen that, that some, checks. It's seen a few days. So <laughs> we uh, are telling a story of the the one outlet that we have on the north side of our house. The family that lived there before us was a bunch of engineers, and they spliced an extension cord into <laughs> the back of the yes <laughs> the back of the outlet and just like ran it through the uh the rafters down in the basement <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> through the floor joists all that good stuff that's character it's all yeah. it is it's just character yeah but now it doesn't work we have no power on that side of the house oh, so yeah we'll, we'll we'll get that fixed we'll, we'll take yeah, care of that you know whatever yeah whatever. so uh fast forward to the 1890s um I don't know if you guys remember, but there was a big bike craze that was sweeping across the nation. So bicycles and um, the, uh, the Wright brothers decided that they were going to, as most people did at that time, start their own business. And they created the Wright cycle exchange later, the Wright cycle company. Um, so they were building bikes, servicing bikes, um, you know, bicycle sales, all that good stuff. All things bikes. All things bikes. bikes. <laughs> and I can't. Oh, Jesus, I'm horrible. I'm, I'm just twirl. Um, the podcast I listened to with uh, Dan Cummings <laughs> after the, you know who the Duggars are? Yeah. 19 uh, kids and counting or yeah. whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> they 47 use, and me or something. Yeah. <laughs> something like yeah. that. They use the analogy of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, a bicycle as a, for a, a, a girl's virginity. <laughs> like you don't, you don't want to, you know, your, your parents get a, get a nice shiny new bicycle and they put it in the shed. But then just before the, the bicycle is about to marry the, the neighbor kid comes over and, and rides the bicycle off of a bunch of ramps and puts it back. <laughs> so for the last few episodes, the running joke has been, <laughs> That's and awesome. especially the last one, they're talking about incels, which is involuntary uh, celibacy. Okay. And they're like, we want to ride bicycles too. <laughs> 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 but despite our best efforts, nobody will let us ride their bicycle. Oh, oh it's funny. It's funny, funny, funny. Man. Heck yeah. So because of, um, you know, the, the, the fact that the, let's get back on task here. Uh, they, they were a uh, repair. They had a bicycle repair shop as well. Um, where did his name go? Absolutely lost it. They had a mechanic. <laughs> a guy. They had a guy. Yeah, that guy. Um, lost his name. Well, that's anticlimactic. Yeah, well. I really should type up my notes and not just read them off of Wikipedia. <laughs> We'll figure it out. Anyway, you said so, that I I typed up a bunch of notes for today. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> we'll see. We'll get there. So, yeah. you know, despite what history teaches you, it wasn't just the Wright brothers, is what I'm getting at, who who constructed this this uh, you know plane, a glider at first, and then they they added an engine. <laughs> they had a little two stroke engine to it, um, and then some controls. And then a launch pad, and the next thing you know, they're orbiting Mars. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, that's not what I got. That's those are not my notes. Yeah, those are not in my notes. <laughs> well, then how about you tell about your notes? Because you know, okay, I don't have notes. So from there, we get into flight. 
so from there it's 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 kind of a it's they they took what people were doing they took things like samuel langley that worked for the smithsonian institution in in 1886 he flew an unmanned steam-powered fixed-wing model aircraft so he proved that it was possible to have an engine he proved it was possible to have something in the air that was heavier that could do it there was just no way for somebody to be on board with him um in the time, the early 1900s, 1899, 1900, it was gliders. Man flew on gliders. That, that wasn't, it was new, but it wasn't anything that was overly groundbreaking. For sure. keep, it, keep in mind that like as far back as the 1500s, Leonardo da Vinci was coming up with ideas that were man-powered flight. Absolutely. Nothing, nothing that they ever built, but like you said, there, it was all gliders from pretty much from that point so yeah and uh one of the pioneers of glider technology otto lilenthal was um he was kind of the guy that that was the best he was the one that was pushing the technology well he died in a glider accident you know it's, it's, <laughs> whoops who could who could have guessed but there's Otto Lilenthal for you. Is that, that, that there is Otto himself, right? But <laughs> Otto I have a Lilenthal. quote. I have a, and all his gliders, and you can see all the. He had a lot of really neat designs. But <laughs> that, that one's fun. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Wright brothers, uh, Wilbur himself actually quoted one time. He said that Lilenthal was without question the greatest of the precursors and the world owes him a huge debt. Which Just, is amazing to, to know that the guys that, that, that basically built the first airplane were, yeah. still, were still humble enough to know where their beginnings came from or where their, their push came from. And, and it's worth noting that these guys were the Wright brothers. Yes, Wilbur was the driving force behind it. He was the mechanical genius of the two. He was the one that had kind of that absent-minded professor vibe. He, he, he thought outside the and box Orville, a lot. And Orville kept kept the, the, the wheels on the train. He kept them moving. He kept things going in a business way, which is fantastic. You kind of need that that give and take, but they were always known as from 1900 on as the Wright brothers. They took everything that was published wasn't a I or a me. It was a us and a and it was a teamwork. It was a it was a back and forth. They right. They actually went to great lengths to make sure that nothing was just one person in the limelight, which is a, an amazing thing because I can't do anything with my sister and not somehow still take credit. <laughs> you know it, it, it's, a, it's a human nature thing you know right you buy right for your you buy something for your kid and you go hey i got this for you and then you know you get that that glancing look from your wife and you go you bought that for her we okay, got that okay. <laughs> we. yes so it's it's an easy thing to do and and they went to huge lengths in everything it, that was ever publicized to not lose that that partnership because they knew it was important to them it's it's like cool. top gun where he was like well, i was flying over uh mav i'm sorry we are flying yeah. over 
Wait. <laughs> Wait. So Orville and Wilbur, they take over and they're 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 kind of the guys that are like, okay, we <coughs> excuse me. Good one. They got this. They're like, we 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 can do this. We can make gliders, we can make them better because we just can't stop thinking about it. We want to just constantly make make improvements. And really there was a three problems with gliders at the time. The fact that they were unpowered meant that their range was going to be limited. Their wings were not making the lift that everybody thought they should be. And control of the entire aircraft was a, was a problem. Um, so here's a picture of the, the original Wright glider. Yep. Uh, right there. What it was is it was steered by them shifting their body weight, which, sure, that works on a skateboard or it works mostly in a motorcycle. That's all well and good. But when you're talking about something that big and that has that much mass, you just shifting your body weight, yeah, it kind of would meander and move, but it wasn't really something that would be considered controllable. It's just wood and... <clears throat> canvas some some wire <laughs> yeah so I mean, them thinking i'm gonna lay on this and if i want to go right i'm gonna lean right that that doesn't really work there we go <clears throat> that's what happens yeah. when it doesn't really work yeah it doesn't really work it means you crash and a lot of them had a foot down like their feet would dangle from the bottom Right. And they'd run with it, and then they'd run to catch it, and then they'd set it down gently. Well, Wilbur quickly realized that that wasn't going to be the way to – that wasn't the future. That wasn't the way to need things going. So he had pilot cradled and was able to kind of swing and move a little bit to kind of really emphasize that that – that body weight motion at first. And then it dawned on him that he can warp the wings of a glider by twisting kind of like a torsion bar, basically. So when you want to go right, you could, you could turn it and actually now we have ailerons that do that, but he right. figured out the best way to get it to, to turn. And, and it was by rolling it more than allowing it to just glide. So so here's a good good view of the Wright Flyer 1 in 1903. You yep. can see how he's laying on it and engines, but you know, the propellers are behind him. The engine's pretty much between his legs. <laughs> it's not, not the most um, comfortable of setups. <laughs> no, no. And it's, and it's worth noting that the the tail is in front. Yeah. Which that's what they did for the, the Wright Flyer 1, 2, and 3. And then in 1910, they kind of went, okay, this isn't this isn't the right way to do this. But they thought that having that elevator control in the front was going to be the most effective way to keep it from nosediving because they could impact the front more. Right. But and then they've got that rudder in the back. Right. Trying to control which, the the you know the the wind coming off of the propeller and which isn't it's turbulent, so it really wasn't something that was going to be overly useful. Right. You, know, you just you just can't control turbulent wind as well as you can can manipulate 
smooth, unadulterated win, which is which is what you want. So they uh, they kind of figured out a way to make a, the the glider roll more. But when you roll, the problem is is when you roll an aircraft, lift is still up. Lift isn't in the direction of the wings. It's still up because it's at 90 degrees to the, right. the, the, the actual motion. So as an airplane would roll, then it wanted to go nose up and then you just kind of get this slide. You just kind of get this, they call it an adverse yaw. Yeah. And yaw. <laughs> but that was their next control issue was getting a, basically putting a tail on the back of it and, and allowing for the the rudders to move in a way that that kicked the back out of it and then allowed the entire craft to move with itself, which is essentially what you want. You want it to, right. to not nose up in a turn because then it just starts sliding and sliding and drifting isn't really it's that's, an that, that's how drifting was created. <laughs> yeah, right. So they kind of get control under uh, under under wraps and then go to the wings and the lift. And they realize that the lift equations that have been used for the last hundred years were all wrong by building their own wind tunnel. And they proved it by building their, the first wind tunnel. They, they built something that just had to exist. Right. Right. They <laughs> needed it. They you saw a need for right. it. So, and I didn't know that they were the first ones to ever build a wind tunnel. I yeah. had no idea. That was incredible. They saw a problem, engineered a solution, and now it's something that we use all the time. It's and they, invaluable to the to the uh, to yeah. the profession and to the industry. Yeah. Um. Let's see, 1902, their glider had a flatter wind, a flatter airfoil, a fixed rear vertical rudder, and the brothers had hoped would eliminate their turning problems. Now with vertical fins added to correct this, the glider again went into a pivoting motion, but in the opposite direction with the nose swinging downward. So that was good. What they did was with this cradled pilot, and they can now control turning. They also engineered the wings to droop a little bit to keep everything inherently unstable so that the pilot was the one that corrected in the moment for everything because right. those early gliders, they would launch themselves off of a hill and then they were there for the ride because they built them so sturdy. They did build them so rigid that they were just along for the ride. And maybe if you want to turn a little bit, you could kind of do this, but that was the end of it. Now you give yourself an inherently unstable craft that the pilots have to manipulate because they gave them controls that could be manipulated so quickly and easily and it was all so second nature to their brain that it was like riding a bicycle it was like walking down the sidewalk right you know and, and it was one of those things that they just were able to 
give them a solution that was just the easiest. I mean, scientists today still will tell you that they don't understand how a bicycle works because it's, it's, it's the, it's the weirdest thing when a bicycle is just pushed down a hill, it stays upright, but it knows if it starts to fall, the, the front wheel turns and actually corrects itself and picks back up. And there's motions involved there. And I'm not a scientist, so I don't know, <laughs> right, 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 right. but there's motions involved with that, that scientists cannot recreate. They just don't understand the fundamentals of that. The fact that we can't ride a bicycle backwards, our brains don't work that way, but it takes a very skilled person and they can only do it for short distances. You don't, nobody can ride a bicycle backwards. There's no balance backwards, right? We don't balance that way. So we don't do it that way. Well, the Wright brothers found a way to use our bird brains basically <laughs> to, to, to find a solution to the problems and the problems were give them more problems, give them more things to control, sure, make those sure. controls easy and you can fly. It was awesome. Following that, what do you, what do you need? What do you need? If you have control, if you have the lift, if you have the capabilities of staying in the air power, and that's exactly what they did. They've got like the picture showed a two propeller pusher propellers and a, where was it? To keep weight down, the engine block was cast from aluminum, a rare practice at the time. It was a Wright and Taylor engine with primitive version of a carburetor. It had no fuel pump. Gasoline was gravity fed from a tank mounted on the wing strut to a chamber next to the cylinders where it was mixed with air. The air fuel mixture was then vaporized by heat from the crankcase, forcing it into the cylinder. So it was a two stroke aluminum block, little tiny engine. Well, it just worked. Keep in mind that not only was, you know, this the infancy of flight, but like motor cars were, were, were still new. Right. I mean, there, there were still more, you know, horse and carriage and there were cars on the road. Yeah. And a lot of places didn't even have actual roads, paved roads. It was just, you know, the, the, the idea of an engine was still very, very new. I mean, they were using steam engines back in the you know 1850s, 1860s, but you're still only looking at 50, 60 years at that point. That's been a, been a concept. Right. Absolutely. Right. That's not, it's not a new, it's not an old technology by any stretch. No, no, no. So so they've got their power, they've got their lift, they've got their controls. The, the Wright brothers take a, a drive over to Kill Devil Hills, which is in North Carolina. It's now at, called Kill at, Devil Hills. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, was Kitty Hawk. Kitty Hawk. Kitty Hawk, which I feel like is a better, better, whatever. It, um, it's, it's less ominous <laughs> when you call yeah, it Kitty Hawk yeah. as opposed to yeah. Kill Devil Hills. Yeah. So after, week, after weeks of delays caused by broken propeller shafts during engine tests, uh, the shafts were replaced using trips back and forth to Dayton. So they were going from North Carolina to Dayton, Ohio, which I don't know the distance between the two offhand, but it wasn't close. And again, it's in 1903. North Carolina to Dayton? Yes. Let's see if you can pull that up. Yeah. Um. After winning a coin toss, it was Wilbur's turn to fly. Yeah. 
that's and that's was, that's the part that I love. It's just ah, let's flip a coin and see who goes. There was no argument. Yeah, there, there was there. They they were brothers and they shared everything. And if one person can do it, well, yeah. let's figure it out. We got to go ahead. The short path from Dayton to Kitty Hawk is six hundred and seventy-seven miles. Keep in mind that's modern roads, highways, all that good stuff. The long one, which again has tolls here, modern roads and highways, 733 miles. Yeah, that's nuts. So they would have a problem and they would have to go back to Dayton, get more supplies, bring back whatever they had, whatever they could do. So, but let's see, Wilbur did a three-second three flight attempt on December 14th, stalling after takeoff and causing more damage to the flyer. Um, and then in a message to their family, Wilbur referred to their trial as having only partial success, stating the power is ample and, but for a trifling error due to lack of experience with this machine and this method of starting, the machine would undoubtedly have flown beautifully. So they had some mechanical problems. And then he's also saying, well, I also don't totally know what I'm doing with this thing. <laughs> We're just but if I knew what thing. I was doing, <laughs> if I knew what I was doing, we'd be golden. We'd be great. So following repairs, the rights finally took to the air December 17th, 1903, making two flights each from ground level into a freezing headwind, gusting at 27 miles per hour. The first flight by Orville was 10.35 a.m. at 120 feet in 12 seconds at a speed of only 6.8 miles per hour over the ground. There's a picture of that. I'm sure you can pull that up maybe of them flying and you can see Wilbur running right next to him. And it's a, it's awesome. Cause it's Orville in the plane and Wilbur's on the wingtip and he was going so slowly that he was able to jog and keep up with him. <laughs> kind of a, Kind of a cool thing. Yeah, not sure if this is the right picture or not. That's the one. There He's in flight. Yeah. That Orville's just, in flight. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't tell if he was. Yeah. That's, but that's the one. And Wilbur's right there on his wingtip. Just kind of go, hey, you're doing a great job, mm. bro. I mean, there's plenty of illustrations of it. Yeah. But that's how slowly they were moving through the air before they actually knew what they were doing. It's what would you say? Six miles an hour? 6.8. 6.8. Yes. I mean, that's that's a 12-minute mile. Jog. Yeah. That's, that's a good jog. Yeah. But slow for nowadays. That was breakneck speed for flight then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so they had a different problem coming up after that. Their next problem was the paparazzi. So... Paparazzi. Paparazzi. <laughs> yes, the press. The press. Wilbur and Orville were not fans of all the the the, the press. They did all like the eyes all, on them, all in their business because they were winging it. Pun yes, intended. They were winging, yes, they were, <laughs> but they were. They didn't totally know what they were doing. So they to to look like an idiot in front of people not knowing what you're doing takes, well, kind of how I feel right now. You know, I don't always know what I'm doing when I'm doing these things. Right. So, yeah, it's, 
I get it. Um, so news starts traveling about them flying and gets beyond the Dayton area, but not until after the the initial reports though, them flying, it's kind of an interesting thing because the Dayton newspapers didn't publish right away that they had been flying because they didn't believe it. Right. Oh, there's tons of skepticism. Yeah. They just didn't believe it. And they just, ah, we're, maybe, maybe they did. Maybe they didn't, which is, which is nuts. So then they built their Wright Flyer three in 1905. And after, after improving all three axes, pitch, yaw, and roll, and they all had their own independent controls. These modifications greatly improved stability and control, enabling a series of six dynamic long flights. Are you ready for these long flight times? Get it. <laughs> 17 to 38 minutes. It's a long time considering the first one was just a few <laughs> seconds. Yeah, yeah. They covered between 11 and 24 miles around a three-quarter mile course over Huffman Prairie. That is crazy. Yeah. So they just, they, they, they would get up and fly and then just do circles. Yeah. The picture that they show on Wikipedia is they're flying over Huffman Prairie on October 4th, 1905. It's flight number 46. Sounds covered, right, yeah. Covered 20 and three-quarters miles in 33 minutes and 17 seconds. Well, and these were the guys that after any any flight, whether it was successful or not, you know, resulting in a crash, maybe. Yeah. They would break it down F1 crew chief style and go, okay, what was right? What was wrong? What was changing? <laughs> right, what right, doing? Right. And they would just go to town working and fixing and improving, which is huge. So, um, so there was a lot of skepticism from, from France. You were talking about how everybody wasn't really believing it. Um, yeah. but, Ernest, I can't pronounce his last, looks like Archdeacon is the last name, uh, founder of the Aero Club de France, publicly scorned the brothers. Um, and again, this is what, three years after they initially flew? Yeah. And the Paris edition of the New York Herald uh, summed up Europeans' opinion of the Wright brothers uh, in an editorial almost on my birthday, February 10th. Uh, and it said, quote, the Wrights have flown or they have not flown. They possess a machine or they do not possess one. They are in fact either flyers or liars. It is difficult to fly. It's easy to say we have flown. Hmm. The other big one was from the, again, the Smithsonian, S.P. Langley, secretary of the Smithsonian Institution, the guy from the beginning that did the the steam-powered unmanned. Yeah. Yeah. Um from 1887 until his death in 1906, experimented for years with model flying machines and successfully flew unmanned powered fixed wing model aircraft in 1896 and 1903. Two tests of his manned full-size motor-driven aerodrome in October and December of 1903, however, were complete failures. Complete the Smithsonian later proudly displayed the aerodrome, which is the name of his craft, in a museum as the heavier-than-aircraft capable of man-powered flight, relegating the, 
capable, not even in quotes, <laughs> capable, relegating the, the Wright brothers' invention to secondary status and triggering a decades-long fuel feud with Orville Wright. Not a guy that I really would want to be up against. Right, right. He's not like a, some big baddie, but at the same time, I, I, I just but you, can't you, make somebody like that somebody you want to just fight with. You put a bowler cap on anybody with that kind of a mustache and they're automatically intimidating. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> nope. nope. All right. Good talk. Nope. Nope. Can't do it. Um, and then in 1904, there was a man in New Zealand that claimed, oh, I did it first. 1904, not 1903. Right. Correct. Was, yeah. I need to start saying correct instead of right because I'm not taking sides on this. I'm just confirming what you're saying. <laughs> I need to choose my verbiage wisely. Fantastic. So here's a fun one, and I don't know if this – I may be stepping on your notes here a little bit. Um, but you were talking about the flights uh, over Huffman Prairie uh -huh. in 1904 and 1905. Um, so the only photos of the flights were, were taken um, by the brothers. A few photos were damaged in the Great Dayton Flood of 1913, but most survived intact. Um, but in 1904, Ohio beekeeper, businessman <laughs> – that's quite the title – Amos Root, who was a technology enthusiast, saw a few of the flights, including the first circle flight that they had. Um, and then he wrote an article for, <laughs> I love this, for his beekeeping magazine. <laughs> and it was the only published eyewitness reports of the Huffman Prairie flights, um, except for the uh, unimpressive early hop local news, newsmen saw. So one of the earlier flights where they didn't really get a lot of. Hmm. You know, distance or whatnot. Um, but yeah. Root offered a report to the Scientific American magazine, but the editor turned it down. Um, he said there is no way that that could be true. As a result, the news was not widely known outside of Ohio and was often met with skepticism. Um, and then we get back into the Paris edition of the Herald Tribune headline, a 1906 article on the right flyers or liars. Oh, I love their their witty repartee with their verbiage. <laughs> <laughs> It's not very um, unique. Right. Correct. Correct. <laughs> we'll Maybe figure it out. Right. Maybe Correct. the next time we can. Yes. <laughs> right will be better. Correct. Yes. <laughs> well, it's worth also mentioning they were lifelong bachelors, both of them. Yeah. They, they, they just, they were not. It's not something they were either interested in or documented anywhere. Was it? Orville, I think one of them was talking about, I, I don't have time for both a wife and an airplane. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. He was pretty poignant. It is. It's thoughts yeah. there. Uh, one other fun thing that happened at Huffman Prairie was Orville piloted two unique flights. Once was a six minute flight with Wilbur as his passenger it was the only time those two were ever allowed to fly together. And before they could do it, they had to ask their dad. Yeah, well, they wanted to make sure that they, that one of them survived. If they crashed, right. one of them right. would be around they because of their... They wouldn't. It's, yeah, it's like the president and vice president flying in two different planes. Exactly. To make sure. But they, I find it funny that they, it's, it's specifically, they had to get permission from their father. They're grown ass men. Dad, can, can we go together? These two grown ass men who pioneered an entire field. Yeah. 
who Go created dad. something had to ask dad. Right. Um, Correct. They had always promised Milton, that was their dad, that they would never fly together to avoid chance of double tragedy and to ensure one brother would remain and continue their experiments. Yep. The other one was when Orville took his 82-year-old father yes. for a nearly seven-minute flight. I was hoping you were going to talk about that one. <laughs> yes. Well, what's great about it is it's the only aerial excursion of Milton Wright's life. The only time he did it was when his son got to take him up. How cool is that? Well, that they, got... they got up to 350 feet. Yes. And Milton kept yelling, higher, Orville, higher. How great is that? that... Oh, but there, there could not be. That's, a, that's happy a, life right there. Right. A better sense of joy over Orville than hearing his dad. You know, just it, it supported him. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't like their 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 dad was. You know, skeptical of anything or told him not to. He was all, "Hey, do it." Yeah. And they promised him. And they took him up, and he's just a kid in a candy store at that point. Yep. It's awesome. That's that's great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so and I, then go ahead. I was nope. gonna say, out of that, there with their patents and everything, they had a lot of lawsuits a lot of issues with with other companies other other inventors uh you know taking off what they were doing what was publicized and then filing their own patents on things right it's mine it's different it's it's right. not at all what they're doing right yeah correct we'll get there yep so because of that, I mean, there was there was a lot of, I mean, there was, there was the Aerial Experiment Association, which was headed by Alexander Graham Bell. You might know him from the telephone. Um, you know, there, there's, yeah. like I said, the, the French were super skeptical and they were they were filing all kinds of patents and taking them to to court for just, they, they couldn't give the Wright brothers the notoriety and the credit that they deserved. Um, but the, the big thing that, that really, you know, the big feather in the cap for the, for the Wright brothers is when the, the U S military, um, started ordering planes in order. And, and actually they, they helped create a flight school. Um, mm -hmm. and, and they, they bought six planes. I'm trying to get back to that part of my notes, <laughs> my notes. notes. Yeah. It's called Wikipedia. Um, but yeah, they ordered six planes and the Wright brothers, I believe uh, Orville specifically uh, was training pilots for the U S military. And mm -hmm. they actually ended up the, the U S military ended up taking them, you know, taking them back, re re reneging on the, the, uh, the contract because of the 13 flights that they went up, they, they crashed 12 times and they lost 11 pilots. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah, as they were trying to train them how to fly. Um, right. But, you know, this is, uh, there it is, 1912, 1913. They had just incorporated their business in 1909, sold the patents to the company for $100,000, created their own flying school, um, and Testfield Huffman Prairie, um, headquartered in New York City. I mean, they were all over the place trying to get this, you know, their their company yeah. off the ground to make this a legitimate business venture. Um, not just something that they do in their, 
you know, their backyard right. or out of their shop or whatnot. Um, but yeah, they, they sold um, what they called the, where did it go? The Wright Flyer Model C was what they sold to the, to the army. Hmm. And you can you can look that one up. It's a uh, Orville resisted the switch to manufacturing a tractor type propeller aircraft. I'm worried that a design change could threaten the right patent um, infringement case against uh, Curtis, which is one of the guys that was vehemently coming after their patents. Hmm. But between 1910 and 1916, the Wright brothers' flying school of Huffman Prairie trained 115 pilots um, who were instructed by Orville. Um, and his assistants, several trainees became famous, including Henry Hap Arnold, who rose to five-star general, commanded the U.S. Air Forces in World War II, and became the first head of the U.S. Air Force. Um, Calbreth Perry Rogers, who made the first coast-to-coast flight in 1911. So you're talking eight years after they they created the the Wright Flyers. It, uh, somebody went coast to coast in 1911. Many stops, uh, you know, and, and and crashes along the way, but still made the flight. Um, and then a Wright Model EX named uh, the Fin, the, the, I'm sorry, the Vin Fizz. Um, and then Eddie Stinson, founder of the Stinson Aircraft Company. So they, I mean, you talk about like the, uh, uh, the Bill Walsh coaching tree in the NFL and just how they, they you know, right. you, you can go to Holmgren, you can go to Shanahan, you can go on down. Well, this is kind of the same thing, but for aeronautics. So, I mean, just all of these people came out of all these, these major players came oh, out. Yeah. Uh, from, well, it's, worth, it's worth also noting that the Wright company transported the first known commercial air cargo. Yeah. They were the first ones to do cargo and it was, Two bolts of dress silk, 65 miles from Dayton to Columbus for the Morehouse Martins department store for a fee of $5,000. Which so was a huge sum back then. Delivered silk, silk. From, Day- from Dayton to Columbus, a couple hundred miles. Yeah. For $5,000. I mean, I guess there's got to be a car. I mean, you got to have something to transport. So, Yeah. Why not silk? So, um, despite all this, um, you know, Wilbur, or not, I'm sorry, not Wilbur. um, Where did my notes go? Um, Yeah, Wilbur was was still the, you know, pushing the business side. Orville got more into the, you know, the training, the, you know, training all the pilots and everything. Orville would travel quite a bit um, trying to help the brand help the, you know, established contracts yeah. and established partnerships and all that. Um, one trip in April, 1912, uh, you know, he went to Boston, normal trip. Um, but he became ill while he was on that trip. Um, the illness is sometimes attributed to eating bad shellfish at a banquet. Uh, I'm sure that's just skepticism. Um, after returning to Dayton in, in May, 1912. So a month later, uh, worn down a mind and body, he felt ill again and then was diagnosed with typhoid fever, um, which back then, <laughs> death sentence. So yeah. uh, lingered on, symptoms relapsing and remaining for many days. Wilbur ended up passing away at the age of 45 at the Wright family home on May 30th. Um, his father, which no no parent should ever have to bury a child, no matter how old that child is. Um, his father wrote about Wilbur in his diary, a short life full of consequences and unfailing Intellect, 
there it is imperturbable temper god words are fun uh great <laughs> self-reliance and as great modesty seeing the right clearly pursuing it steadfastly he lived and died so at the age of 45 <clears throat> orville lost his business partner his his co-creator his best friend and his brother who died yep. of typhoid fever um but with that orville still pressed on um he wilver was the president of the the right company and orville was the vice president well so of course orville takes over as the president of the right company upon wilver's death um and he won the prestigious collier trophy in 1914 for developing of his automatic stabilizer of the rights model e which i think you you talked about briefly earlier yeah um Sharing Wilbur's distaste for business, but not his brother's executive skills, Orville sold the company in 1915. The Wright Company then became part of the Wright Martin Company in 1916. Um, with that, um, you know, after living 42 years at the residence on 7 Hawthorne Street, Orville, Catherine, and their father Milton moved to Hawthorne Hill in the spring of 1914. Milton passed away in his sleep April 3rd, 1917, at the age of 88. So, what, six years after Man. he took his dad up. Um, yeah. And he passed away. So, he, he got Which to. Again, in the beginning of the 1900s, to, yeah. to live to 80 anything. That's being 100 now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, just think about it, though. I mean, his, his dad's a yeah. clergyman, so he's known for telling the truth, for being, you know, just and right and all this stuff. He's out there just parading i mean just celebrating the the accomplishments of his sons and yeah. you know got to tell everybody and of course he, he still traveled a lot for uh, for the church so he's you know just he's got to be glowing right i mean gotta be. how do you not yeah correct <laughs> he's got to yes. be glowing correct <laughs> correct so, yeah so, but regard i mean just imagine the joy that the the, the last you know six years of his life was just encased in so yep. um let's see upon his death milton uh, had been very active preoccupied with reading writing articles for religious publications and enjoying his morning walks he'd also marched in a dayton women's suffrage parade alongside alongside orville and catherine so he was a big activist um you know just which back then th you think about it that's ahead of his time yeah, yeah. For the church to be, um, and I guess more than anything, it just showed how genuinely good of a father he was. Mm -hmm. You know, that he was, this is important to my children, so this is important to me. So he didn't, he didn't fall into the um, societal norms of, you know, women shouldn't vote or own property or anything like that. So, right, right. That's, that's pretty cool. So, uh, Orwell made his last flight as a pilot in 1918. It was in a 1911 Model B. Uh, retired from business and became an elder statesman of aviation, serving on various official boards and committees, including the National Advisory Committee of Aeronautics, and then also the Aeronautical Chamber of Commerce. So, his later years, he, he spent more on, you know, consultation work and, and uh, you know, making sure that the you know, the, the laws, the, the regulations and all that for the aeronautical in, industry uh, were set and just and it wasn't being corrupted and uh, things like that. Uh, Catherine, cool. his sister married and actually moved to, or I'm sorry, married uh, Henry Haskell of Kansas City. So there's a little Kansas tie for you. Um, 
and then he refused. Uh, let's see, where was I? Orville was furious and inconsolable, feeling he had been betrayed by his sister Catherine. I guess he thought they were all supposed to be not married, focusing on business, whatever. Um, he yeah. refused to attend the wedding and even or even communicate with her. Finally agreed to see her apparently at Lauren's insistence, which would be the one of the sisters, uh, just before Catherine died of pneumonia on March third, nineteen twenty nine. So Hmm. Yeah, the the uh, the the persistence to focus on, you know, make making your your way in that industry, started to to make waves in their their family. It's just I, you know, as as, as much of a, and this is where I'm going with this. As much as a family person, and as much as doing the right thing as their father did, it didn't seem like the kids were <laughs> all on the same page as that. Right, for sure. They just went a different way. Not a bad way, because correct. We have we have airplanes, but you know, yeah, yeah, just different. Very much so. Uh, April nineteenth, nineteen forty-four. The second production, Lockheed Constellation, which was powered by Howard Hughes and uh, TWA president Howard Hughes is one I'd love to dive into. That that's an eccentric dude. Um, yes. President uh, and TWA president uh, Jack Fry flew from Burbank, California to Washington, D.C. in six hours, 57 minutes at a speed of 330.9 miles an hour. On the return trip, the airliner stopped at Wright Field to give Orville Wright his last airplane flight more than 40 years after his historic first flight. Um, he may even have briefly handled the controls. And he commented that the wingspan of the Constellation was longer than the distance of the first flight. Put that so picture up. If you can. Of which one? The one I just sent over to you. Oh, that one there. That's it. That is, that's called the C-69, but it is a Lockheed Constellation. That is the plane that Howard Hughes flew, more or less, without the, the military right. markings. That's flew it. From, yep. It's funny he says that, that, that the wingspan is further than the first. And you look at this picture and it's just like, ha, that's it, huh? Yep. <laughs> Yep, that's the one. Good stuff. Yep. It's crazy. You know, 40 years after the first flight, and we went from a glider with a, you know, two-stroke between his legs to right. <laughs> this flying across Just, the country. So 2,300 miles at 330 miles an hour. Yeah, that they yeah. went from, <laughs> from 12 miles an hour to uh, 330 in 40 years. Yeah. So crazy, well, okay, crazy. okay, but 25 years later, we went to space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, and I mean, we're, we 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 were on the moon in '69. So if we went from, yeah, 25 yeah, years, yeah, 65 years from the first flight, we made it to the moon. That's crazy. So absolutely crazy. Human so, resolve. You know, one one of the fun things that came of this, and I say fun, I'm sure they don't think it's too fun, but the state rivalry between Ohio and North Carolina. You know, when they when they put out the quarters that had all yep. the different things to go with the states. Um, North Carolina shows the right flyer in the back, and then it says first in flight. Ohio's on the back, shows the right flyer, and then <laughs> an astronaut that says birthplace of aviation pioneers. Yeah. Neil Armstrong Every, is from Ohio. But, but, who, but who do you give the, 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 the first flight to? Do you give it to the state where it happened? Or, or do do the state where they're from, where they built where everything? The, and, where the residents are from. Uh, that's a tough one. I, I would say, I, I mean, I think that they, 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 
to use your pun, coined this correctly. The North Carolina says first flight. Yeah. And Ohio says birthplace of aviation pioneers. So right. giving, I think they did that. They did that well, but yes. Before I, that, I, I'm going to give the credit to North Carolina. I'm, I'm going to go I mean, team North Kakalaki because that's where the flight took place. Okay, even, but if even but though it was two me, Buckeyes, hear me out. If if I was <laughs> here, we go. If I'm a Kansas resident mm-hmm. and I go do something heroic in Oklahoma, I'm not an Oklahoma hero. Well, but that, that's that's kind of different, though. You're talking about is it? Well, you're talking that's about inventing something, did, doing doing something. I don't know if I'd call that heroic. No, I mean, her, but heroic is I, charging into a burning building and saving 17 orphans. I mean, if I right. want to go to the extreme <laughs> extreme side of that, but you're you're talking about something that that was groundbreaking per se. Right. Um, right. I I say you give the credit, and, and you know if you're you're listening along, go ahead and comment what you think. I don't think there's a there's a right answer. It's like it's like saying peanut butter and jelly tastes good. It's subjective. Um, but yeah, I'm going to give it to North Carolina. I'm going to give it to the place where it happened. Fair enough. I'm Team North Kakalaki. So, but they there have been multiple coins, stamps, license plates, um, yep. you know, all kinds of things between Ohio and North Carolina. That that's kind of a friendly battle between the two. Um. Where did it go? There it is. So the, the Wright Brothers Field, which is like we said, where um, you know, Howard Hughes and what's his name? Jack. Fry. Fry. I about said light. Um, stopped to pick up, you know, Orville to give him his last flight. Um, NASA named the the first Martian takeoff and landing area that at the 2021 Ingenuity helicopter. They named it Wright Brothers Field. So they gave them credit for that where it landed on Mars. Um, Ingenuity arrived on Mars, stored under the Perseverance rover as part of the Mars 2020 mission, and has flown five times with Wright Brothers Field between um, April 19th and May 7th, 2021, and then a fifth flight on May 7th. Um, helicopter carries a small piece of the wing fabric from the 1903 Wright Flyer cool. attached to the cable underneath its solar panel. Um, yeah, in 1969, cool. Neil Armstrong c- carried a similar Wright Flyer artifact to the moon in the Lunar Modular Eagle during Apollo 11. So the big thing, that the takeaway from that is that all these groundbreaking endeavors, um, they're still honoring the Wright brothers. Here we are literally 120 years later, almost to the minute. Um, and they're still being honored rightfully as yeah. the, you know, first of all. Now, okay, so you're talking about two Americans you know, two American endeavors that, you know, to the moon and to Mars. Um, and the, the French are still a bit bitter and angry about it. They're saying that they beat the Wright brothers, but right. um, all of yeah. these groundbreaking things, you know, being first on the moon, first on Mars, they have a piece of the Wright flyer with them, which I think is awesome. So, yeah. So there you go. In a nutshell, we waded into the the Wright brothers, the first in flight today being the 120th anniversary of the Wright brothers' six second flight or six minute what six second flight, I believe it was. My brain is not awake. Yeah. There at Kitty Hawk, Kill Devil Hill, the Ohio natives putting North Carolina first <laughs> in flight. <laughs> so that's how you straddle that line there. Yep. Um, 
takeaways from this uh, from this first endeavor on StreamYard.com. I, I think that this is something we're going to build on. I, I, I like the fluidity uh, of of the things we can do. I like the interaction with the with the the listeners that we can get here through the chat box. Um, I'm going to be interested to, to look at um, both YouTube and Facebook and see what kind of uh, interaction we had there and how that's going to yeah. going to go. And that's only going to going to bode well for you guys because it gives um, you know more fun for you guys to be able to to be a part of the show. Uh, listening live is is the way to go um, to do all that. But uh, you know, as you see scrolling across the bottom, you can follow us on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. Um, Instagram, and then also there's an email address. So if we uh, got any of the facts wrong, if we <laughs> butchered any pronunciations of anything, by all means, shoot us an email, dirtyriverchronicles at gmail.com. Uh, show suggestions. Uh, we'd love to do the, the, the basis of this to, to give you guys um, a little bit of an insight is that, uh, you know, we want to keep our show uh, topics related to that day in history. Keep in mind, we can broaden out like we did on the, we'll call it the dark show um, or the silent show. Um, <laughs> you know, it was the anniversary of Scott Weiland, uh, the lead, the front man, the lead singer of Stone Temple Pilots and Velvet Revolver passing away. And so we decided to do a, again, we weighed into uh, the grunge era and give a kind of a brief overview of, of grunge. So we can get vague, we can get specific, we can get crazy, whatever we want to do with this. Um, it's going to be fun. That's all I got. It's, it's, yeah. uh, and, and the more interaction we can get from the listeners, from the, from the fans, the followers, the scuba squad, as I think we're going to lovingly call you guys. Um, I think, I think it's only going to bode well for, for everybody involved, but yeah. make sure you go to that YouTube channel. Make sure you like and subscribe. That is going to help us in the long run. Uh, find our public group on uh, Facebook, the dirty river chronicles uh podcast group you'll know it by the fish with the gas mask on as you see in the upper right corner of our of our uh broadcast here there it is oh, ish yeah, little ish. T- yeah, got it um it's over there <laughs> i gotta yeah. figure out which way my camera's Let's put it backwards yeah there yep there's an arrow <laughs> Doing the YMCA over here. Um, yeah, for the um, next show here in two weeks. For for now, we're going to keep it on kind of a two week, uh, two week basis. We got some ideas. Um, we got uh, the the passing of Betty White. We got the birth of Val Kilmer and Donald Trump Jr. Um, events. We've got uh, Carl's Benz working in Mannheim, Germany. Uh, files for a patent on his first reliable two-stroke gas engine, which kind of ties into this week, um, and granted the patent in 1879. And then we've also got, this is one of those where we could broaden out. Thomas Edison demonstrates his incandescent lighting to the public for the first time in Menlo Park, New Jersey. And then, of course, we've we've got uh, some time so we could uh, find something that, that sparks our interest on top of that. But we've got some ideas. we we got some teasers there. We're not sure which way we're going to go with it, but know soon enough didn't mean to do that (laughs) so ron any last any last comments any parting shots any thoughts on our on our our new uh our new home our new daddy well i like it yes (laughs) there was one last thing about the the wright brothers i wanted to Mm. slip in there just one thing for orville wright saw horse and drawn buggy 
and hypersonic flight. It's a life. He used actually, yeah, he lived 35 years longer than Wilbur and survived his first heart attack, died with his second. But he got to see everything from horse and, horse and buggy to hypersonic flight. I mean, yeah, and he was, yeah. he was born just before the, yeah. And so he yep. went steam engine, locomotive, horse buggy. To Chuck Yeager. To Chuck Yeager, crushing yep. things. Heck yeah. So, um, so yeah, make sure you do uh, share this with all your friends. The more people we get to follow us, like us, subscribe to us, the, the more money we get in the bank, the more production value we can have, and the, the more props Ron gets to wear. So, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah. On that note, Ron, thanks for a good show and uh, yeah. good good luck to to the daughter and her team out there uh, yeah, at the thanks. cheer competition. And um, yeah, that's all I got. So let's catch you guys in a couple of weeks. Have a very merry Christmas, happy holiday, happy Hanukkah, whatever you whatever you celebrate, whatever you um, cherish with your family. We, we, Ron and I here from the Dirty River Chronicles, wish you a happy holidays, a merry. Festive. Absolutely. I don't even know the proper way to say it. Happy Toyota days. So <laughs> now the Honda people are going to get mad at me. Right. So, right. I'm, I'm just secluding everybody. So everybody yeah. have a, have a great, uh, great holiday and we'll catch you guys on New Year's Eve. I believe is the next. Yes. Time. So yes, it is. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, when do I get it? Get what? A hug? A dragon. A dragon. You asked me to cut class and fight robots with you. I said no. You said millions of lives depend on it. I said I'll do it for a dragon. You said whatever. I want my dragon.